following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So I have to tell you, um, I grew up in a, in a church where we always did Trinity Sunday, and, and we would go up and there would be this children's message. And you'll notice I don't do a lot of children's messages because I find that I like to listen to the children rather than teach them so it works out better. Um, but, but I would go up and there would always be these little stuffed animals and things that would try to teach us about the Trinity. And one time we went up there and, and uh, the pastor was like, yeah, I got nothing. And we were like, what? Yeah, I got nothing. There's no way to explain the Trinity. And I was like, well, well, then why do we spend so much time talking about the fact that this is the case? And, and, and he just said, it, when there's some times in our lives where you just hit your head. And I'm like, okay. But me being the, the, the guy who always has to figure everything out, that's my personality, God made me that way. I, that set me off on a quest to discover, you know, how can this work? What, what is this all about? And so going through life... I've been trying to figure this out, and I have never figured it out, and I'm not going to answer the question for you today, but my question to you is this. Who cares, right? That's kind of where I got to as a, as a sort of a, a young adult. I was like, who cares? And it turns out we should care very much because there's so much going on here. And what I want to do is I want us to just dive right in, and I want us to see this for what, what we have. Because the first question is, is, how many gods are there, right? And we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And, and we're going to put these on the screen. We're going to zoom in on them because I want you to see this um, from a particular point of view that maybe I personally had never seen it before. Because we love to talk about how God is three persons, one God. In fact, last year we made a big deal about one what, three who's, right? And that's true, but listen to this. Hear, O Israel, this is, the, this is what's called the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How many? One. So just so we're all clear today, today our protocol is going to be, I'm going to say how many, and you're going to say one. Right? That's how we're going. So how many? Yeah. Okay. So here we go. So now I want to read you the, 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 the Hebrew, and I'm not going to pronounce it very good because I'm terrible at Hebrew, but it's Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. And you've got to spit on Echad. See, that's the word for one, right? And so in this particular case, why do we care about that? Well, because people, there are a lot of people who grew up, even, even you know, we got to meet uh, a couple of of folks who are what they call Messianic Jews. So they grew up in the Jewish culture and the Jewish faith, but then they met Jesus later on. They still love to pray this prayer every morning because that was part of their culture. And it's still very much appropriate because there was many times people would come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? What's the, what's, what should we focus on? And, and on numerous occasions, he gave them this answer. But then he always followed it up with exactly how the scripture continues is therefore, love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind, strength, everything in you, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he kept going with all of this. So this idea that the Lord is one is connected to and directly a part of the idea of love. Isn't that interesting? The idea that we're one, that he is one, I should say, has to do with this idea of love. So let's take a look at another passage, Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to ask the question, how many? And you answer, one. Right, that's how it works. So here we go. There is, this is Ephesians 4, 4-6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all 
and in all. Now, of course, the word one there, if you count them, there's seven of them. That's probably not an accident. You know, it's just it's a seven. That's kind of one of those numbers that the Lord loves. It's kind of his complete number. And the Apostle Paul, carried by the Holy Spirit, writes these words for you and me. And it's really interesting because the number one becomes very important. How many? See, and so when we talk about one body, this is interesting because he starts with this. One body, one spirit. Um, this idea that we all have one hope and in one faith, in one baptism. The Apostle Paul is very annoying because a lot of people tell me, Mark, can we just not talk about baptism all the time? Sorry, the Scriptures do. So it's very annoying, but it's just there, and, and one God and Father. right? And so this idea is, this, is that oneness, if you'll allow that word, has to do with His presence, His power, His, and there's this word again, love. Right? And so when you look at this scripture, I want you to, you know, you're, you're just trying to, you know, the, the, the central processing unit still is breaking down even when we read these words because how do you, how do, you do this? Like, I'm, let's just be honest, right? One body, are we one body? We can all say, well, of course we are. We're the body of Christ. Praise God. You ready to live with each other for all of eternity? Well, that's, that's serious, right? You know, I mean, seriously, you know, it's like, I want you to think about people that just drive you crazy, right? There's people, they do. I might be that person, so I'm really sorry if that's the case. But they, you know, they just annoy you, right? And, and, and you think about those people, and you're like, am I really one with them? Or do I, I'm like, you know, you'll be over there, I'll be over here, this is going to work out great. And, and this, is, this is just one of the things, because what's interesting is the context of this passage is all about unity and how we have unity, and we have unity through love. And so, when we're asking the question of how many, and you answer, you see, we have a bit of a challenge ahead of us. How do we, how do we actually do it? Because I, I love, so like they said in the video, it's pretty good, this is not just a philosophy puzzle. And I love those. I'm kind of into that sort of thing. Most of you probably aren't. But that's all great and fine and dandy, but how does it actually really work? Take a look at John 17, verses 22 to 23. Now, here he has this passage. Jesus is talking. He says, I have given them... Glory so that you gave me, excuse me, glory that you gave me. Why? So that you may be one as we are, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. Earlier, Tim and John in the Bible Project video, they said that the Trinity is a community of infinite love. It's kind of interesting. You know, you and I are what we would call a contingent being. And this is, again, I know it sounds philosophical again, but go roll with me on for just a second. A contingent being means we always need other people. And you, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cast Away, you know, where Tom Hanks is playing this character, he's on an island, and eventually he meets Wilson. You guys, and I don't mean to spoil the movie, but Wilson is a soccer ball, right? Or volleyball, I can't remember. And, and volleyball. And so, and so, you know, and then he paints Wilson's face, and he has to have companionship because... He's alone, and, and yeah, maybe he's losing it a little bit, but there's a reason he's losing it, because he's alone. We can't be alone. We Genesis chapter 1, God says it's not good for man to be alone, right? And so, so you know, sometimes we may have to resort to Wilson, right? You know, like, Wilson, and then he was just like, Wilson, you know, and you, you just, he's arguing with a volleyball, and this is great. So, but see, Jesus knows this. He knows that we need one another. We are contingent on one another. Um, I, I'll never forget, I was like, I think I was nine, maybe ten. My parents aren't here today, I'd have to ask them. 
and I decided I was going to run away. I don't know if any of you guys ever ran away. Right? You just run away. I'm out because they were made me mad for the last time. And where our house was built is there was an empty lot next door. And so I ran all the way to the empty lot. It was at least 100 paces, maybe more. And, and so I went there, and I began to build a little campfire, the whole nine yards. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, so going, and one of the neighbors came out, and they're like, what's this all about? And I'm like, I ran away. Oh, you did? Well, you made a great distance. And I'm like, hey, I'm done with them. They're, they're, they've, they're dumb. They're, they, they don't understand anything. They, they don't understand anything. Oh, okay. And so, you know, just kind of let me be in my own silliness. Um, we need one another. Sometimes, maybe especially when we don't want it. Does that make sense? Um, and, and, our, and our human experience is this consistent challenge of discovering this very frustrating reality that we need one another. And that even those people that annoy us, or you're like, you be over there, I'll be over here, it's going to work out great. Ah. I mean, think about, think about the emotions. And I know Jesus is true man and true God. That's one of our... It's one of our powerful doctrines we take from the day like today. But he was true man and true God. But I always wonder, what was his actual emotional experience of being a man on this earth? Because i got to think there was some significant frustration there. Now, he doesn't get frustrated the way you and me do because he can see the reason why and he understands and he also knows his mission to make everything right. But I want you to feel, I want you to allow that frustration to come back in that you feel and ask yourself, where does this come from? Why is it there? Why do I feel it? Take a look at verse 23, the second half of 23. He says, May they, that's all y'all, because remember we read, he was even said this prayer is also for those who haven't, haven't, haven't heard it yet. May they be brought to complete unity. How many? One. All right. To complete unity. Why? So that the world would know that you sent me. And you have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, when you go to preacher school, they teach you that you always got to preach the law and the gospel. See, Chris and I, we had this class. You preach law and gospel. And so I've been trying to, to do a little bit of both here, but this one is actually kind of interesting because it has some gospel in it, but it's also kind of law. It's kind of that double-edged sword that's cutting through. And what do we mean by that? Well, because I want you just to think about it. What Jesus is basically saying is all the miracles in the world don't compare to this one. I've heard it said to it like this. You, you know, your Jesus guy, he's pretty cool, but you Christians, I'm not interested. Have you ever heard that kind of sentiment? You've heard this right before. Because we tend to, we tend to focus on what we're against and rather than what we're for. We tend to focus on the people we don't want to be with rather than the people that we do. We tend to focus on the divisions and the, the disunity rather than the unity. We tend to highlight, in fact, I was frustrated. All the pastors of our circuit got together not long ago and we were talking about something they did. And the first question, not the last, but the first question is, well, how do you do that when there aren't Lutherans there? You know, I'm just like, Argh. I wonder if anybody said that to Jesus. There were no Lutherans there, just throwing that out there. But hey, do you see the issue here? Somebody said not long ago, they were, they were wanting to join our church. They said, do we have to become Lutheran to join your church? And I was like, heavens no. I sure hope you follow Jesus for all your days, though. And there's some nuance there that I hope you can, we can all see that what's going on. This is about unity. This is about caring about one another. Do I mean that doctrines are unimportant, that faith traditions are unimportant? No. 
I don't mean that. But where do they, where do they sit on the priority scale for the Lord and Savior of the world? And how does he seem to be convinced that the power of his kingdom will go out and will, will impact people? May they be brought to complete unity. Why? So that the world would know that you sent me. This is his prayer to the Father that he wants us to hear. That you, that you sent me, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. You know, this is where that idea that the Trinity is, is, is this community of infinite love. Keep in mind, in this prayer, Jesus is like, yeah, you've been loving me since before the creation of the world. He's, and he's the one who's actually calling us to think about that before there was ever even a universe that we live in, God is non-contingent. That's why when people are like, who are you? He just says, I am. Because he's the only one that can say that. He's the only one. And so as a result, God, Jesus is sitting there saying, you've always loved me. And I know this. And now I want them to know this. I want them to know you. I want them to know your love. And this is where the law becomes gospel, if you'll allow that language. Because now I want you to hear the good news that Jesus is going to do anything, literally anything, including giving up his whole life for you so that you would know this. This is his prayer. This is his mission. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. How does it unfold? Here's another, it's another classic passage that's just like, wow. And it even sounds like what's in the creed, and that's not an accident. These words, he says, There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Now, if you're sitting there going, Mark, I'm just worn out on all these prepositions, I understand that. If you're not a grammarian, you're like, dude. But here's the case, probably not, because a grammarian wouldn't say that. But the idea here is that, is that the idea is there is a distinction and an important one between our relationship to the Father, to the Son, and as we'll see here in a moment, also to the Spirit. And that is, there's this thing that when you are in the place that you're in, when I'm in the place that I'm in every day and we feel those feelings of frustration and we think, how many is not one, how many is many? Because I don't want to be around any of those people or however it may feel. Then you cry out to Jesus. When you're with that person that's annoying you, driving you nuts, and you feel like, I'm going to run away to that vacant lot next door, cry out to Jesus. When somebody says something or the preacher does something, you're like, I hate it when he does that. Or whether it's the teacher or the police officer or the firefighter or the mayor or the president or the senators or any of those people, especially the ones of that other party that you don't like, Lord, help me love them. When it's someone at work who stabs you in the back and you have a right to retaliate, I want you to use all the authority in heaven and earth the way that Jesus did and relinquish that right, to surrender that right, to say, <laughs> Father, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. Help me forgive them. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power of how we live through Jesus, right? Certainly for the Father, but through Jesus. And it's like this idea of Jesus, I have been many times said, I'm driving somewhere to meet with someone who is going to just chew me out, right? This is how it works, right? And I'm on my way and I'm like, this is time to live through Jesus because right now I don't want to go, right? <laughs> who wants to go? Through whom we live. 
And, and, and then in Titus chapter 3, we're just doing this like smorgasbord trip around this, this, this roller coaster ride through the scriptures of all these powerful passages. He says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And it's always important to pull the car over, turn it off for a minute, take a deep breath. Come on, do that with me. Not because of the righteous things we've done. Not. The power of the gospel is the only way any of this works. Right? The power of the gospel, the good news. I fail. He doesn't. Rinse and repeat. I fail. He doesn't. Get back up and let's go again. This is through Jesus. By His Spirit, as we will see. And, what you, what you, and why? Because of the kindness and the love of the Father who is also called the Savior here. A lot of times, you know, when you were in Sunday school growing up, they're like, you got the Creator, you got the Redeemer, and you got the Sanctifier, or however you, want, however you were taught those. And they're all, don't use that. Those bad categories. They're all the Savior. They're all the Redeemer. They're all the Sanctifier. And then I shouldn't even use they. See, I committed heresy. You can go ahead and call it in. And so there we go. He, right? And so, and so when we do this, we have God our Savior saved us. Why? Because of His mercy. Now, guys, here at Praise and Worship, we've worked really hard on this word, but I want, I want you to think about it. What does mercy mean? Mercy means receive, not receiving what we do deserve. Right? We all deserve the punishment, but we don't receive it because Jesus took it on himself. He took it on himself. You're free. Look at this verse as it follows to 5 and 6. How did he save us? Through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Baptism just keeps coming up, right? There's only one we found out, right? How many? And so the idea here is that it all happens through stuff. More prepositions are getting in the way here. But the idea is through the washing. So that why is this important? Because you can sit there and go, yeah, but this time I've gone too far. This time I have run two vacant lots away. I'm not just one vacant lot away. I'm, I'm on the other side of the planet for all I know. I have climbed deep into the pit by my own choices. And the Lord God Almighty says, yeah, but there was that one time when I washed you clean. One time when I renewed your spirit by my spirit. And you need to hear that in the depths of your heart. You need to believe it. Hear the words and let them hit you in the heart. Because this is the truth. So that way you can say, my identity, the who that I am, was defined by what he has done. And he continues, he says, when did he do that? He poured it out on us generously. There's another preposition, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through Jesus. And we continue to the final passage, verse 7. Why, again, why, why does he do all of this? So that having been, oh, and there's that, there's that word, justified. This is the word, the church word, right? It means, it's like some of you guys, some baseball on right now? You guys watching baseball, right? We love to remind us that justified is like when the umpire does this, right? Safe. It's a declaration, and people can argue with him, but they don't win, right? Nobody wins. He declares it, and it's done. You're like, but man, he clearly tagged the guy. In my case, I got tagged before I ever made it out of the batting cage, right? It's safe. You've been declared Righteous, declared perfect in the eyes of God. How? By His grace, 
so that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Here's the facts, guys. You and I are going to live forever. Those who have gone before us in the faith are living forever with Christ right now because they are heirs. You and I are heirs to the kingdom. To the kingdom. God's design all along was that there would be how many? You see how this works. You see why it's so important to to not understand the Trinity, but to receive the Trinity. To receive the fact that God is this infinite community of love and He wants all of the many to be how many? Let's pray about that. Father in heaven, we ask you boldly right now to help us believe your words. They're your words. The fact that you have declared us righteous so that we would become heirs to your kingdom and to participate in your community of love forever and ever and ever. Root these truths in our hearts so deep that they'll never be taken out by the frustrations or the sadness or the grief that this world brings. And man, does it bring it. Instead, fill us with your love and your hope because we were called to one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism because there is one God who comes to us as one Lord, one Spirit, one Father. And Father, we pray to you all of this right now because and through Jesus, our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.